Hey everybody, this is Rita Springer and welcome again to the Rita Springer podcast. My favorite thing on this podcast is always interviewing people that I admire, that I think are amazing. And living in Nashville, there are a lot of people here that are on my list. And the one I am interviewing today is, you actually you're one of my favorites. Really? And here's why, Daniela Mason, when I get to church, when I'm not on the road and I get to actually come to church and you're up on stage leading at The Belonging, I always get this really excited feeling because your voice to me is like none other. You know, you I like I love Natalie. Natalie sings. Everybody knows Natalie's voice. Everybody knows Carrie's voice. But you have such a beautiful, distinctive sound. And what you bring and offer to the set is to me, it's just, it's my, it's like a vibe for me. So I always get so, especially when you and Andrew are leading together. I love leading with Andrew. Yeah, I mean, he's just awesome. He's amazing. But you, yeah, what you bring, you're so multifaceted to me. I think that's why I'm, um, I'm kind of obsessed with you in a lot of different (laughs) ways because you don't just walk in one lane. You've got all of these lanes. We've been talking actually for the last probably hour or so just in all these things that she's got her hands into, which just blow my mind. But um, you are multifaceted, multi-talented, and I don't know that everybody knows what all you do, but that's what I want to talk to you about. I want you to just uh, spill the beans. You're making me blush. (laughs) Daniela Mason, born and raised in Dallas, Texas, and now you're living in Nashville. How long have you lived in Nashville? I've been in Nashville since 2007. Oh, that's pretty long. I know. What made you move from Dallas to Nashville? Uh, I actually moved here to go to Belmont University. Wow. Yeah. And did you do four years of college in Belmont? Uh, technically five. <laughs> I a, had a you know extra lap. And you never left? Mm-mm. I, I had several years, about six years, we had a place in LA and we split yeah. time between here and LA. But once I got here, I just, it was my home. And what did you study at Belmont? You know, Justice got accepted to Belmont, but he turned really? it down. He turned it down. He's going to go to MTSU. I loved Belmont. Um, I actually started as a musical theater major, so I was because acting's one of your lanes. Yes, it is one of my lanes. A little known lane. <laughs> yeah, I actually started as an actor. Okay, um, I know it's kind of That's funny. Why I secretly love you because so did I. We, we feel that kindred. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I started as an actor. And because I could sing, I ended up a lot more in like the musical theater space. I thought I was going to go to school for acting. I had a full ride to another school. And then my mom actually was not feeling the Lord on that other school. And uh, my parents were preaching at a church in Kentucky. And oftentimes they would um, try to get me out of school so I could go with them. And so we needed to do a college visit so that I could miss school. And the closest college that had an arts program was Belmont. Belmont. And so I had never heard of Belmont. We went and visited it. I fell in love with the school. They wow. didn't really have a strong acting program at the time, yeah. but they had a good musical theater yeah. Oh, yeah. program. And my mom just was like, I really feel like you're supposed to go here. I was like, It's well, Christian based too, isn't Belmont? Yes. Christian? Yeah. It yeah, used yeah. to be part of the Southern Baptist okay. Convention and it they left around the time I started, but still a Christian school. But my mom was like, I really feel like you're supposed to go here. And I was like, well, I, they haven't got, given me a scholarship. Like I was accepted, but I hadn't been given very, I think I had enough of money to buy books maybe. Yeah. And I had gotten a full ride to this other school. And this is such a crazy story, but my mom was like, well, God's going to provide. 
Like if you're supposed to go here, you're going to provide. This is a wild story now that I realize I'm in the middle of it. But so we told them I was going to go and I enrolled in faith. We did not have the money. Wow. And my mom was like, it's going to happen. Like just total cockiness even, not even just confidence. She was like, "Mm, it's happening. So in faith, we did this. And around that time, Jesse Duplantis (laughs) was having a birthday party. And like the back, it, I feel like it was a back room of an olive garden. Like it was very, I have such interesting like memories of this. And my parents were going to the birthday party and they pulled out a boom box and they asked me to sing Revelation song to a track on the boom box. And I was mortified. I was like, please do not make For me sing Jesse this party. worship song at this <laughs> olive garden in the back room on a boom box. Like I literally was mortified. But my dad was like, for, for reference, Jesse Duplantis, for those people that are listening that don't have any reference for him. I know. This is such a, a he's an old time Louisiana preacher. Oh yeah. Like old time. Like almost a fire, caricature. Hellfire and brimstone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Hilarious. Um, so I sang Revelation song on this on the boom box. On the boom box. And Jesse came up to me afterwards and he was like, Are you gonna go to school for music? And I said, Yes. He was like, I think that's really brave. He said, I got accepted to Juilliard to play piano and I didn't go and I've regretted it ever since. And he said, I think it's really brave that you're going to go do music at school. And I was like, yeah. And he said, how much does it cost to go to Belmont? And I said, it's $25,000 a year, which now it's way more. Oh yeah, way more. And he said, okay, I'm going to pay for your first year of school. You're going to pick up the check tomorrow at the office. And the only catch is every year, you're going to have to believe that the money's going to come in for your next year. And I'm just standing there in silence. My My dad and I both like the talkers of the family are like standing there. Like we have nothing to say. And my mom's just over in the corner like knew it. Like not even shocked. She was like, yep. If loving children in need is important to the Lord, it should be paramount to us. That's why I decided to partner with Compassion International to be the hands and feet of Jesus where we're able. That's what I want to do. And I, I want to ask you to ask yourself, what are you able to do? Go to the Compassion site today at Compassion.com slash Rita and explore the ways your small contribution can change someone's life. If you haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to my episode with Jay. His story will show you how you can truly make a difference in someone's life. Visit Compassion.com slash Rita. And so oh, wow. I ended up graduating with no debt. And it's just crazy. Because every year you saw God yeah. show up. Well, that's actually um, ministering to me right now. That's good. Kid in, kid in college, man. And you these days, the it's, it's a lot it's, of money. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Now, so wait, can you go back and give us reference to your parents' ministry? And kind of you grew up in a missionary family in, in the Dallas area. So traveling missionaries? Because I know your dad's kind of a big icon in in Texas. In, in certain in, circles, yeah. yes. Yeah, so when I was eight, my dad started a missions organization. And essentially what we did was a lot of construction. So we did, you know, we'd build orphanages and hospitals yeah, and yeah. churches and different things. So that's sort of the the side of the, you know, the world that we were on. So starting when I was eight and then through middle school, was the main years I was on the mission field. And then in eighth grade, I switched to going to public school. And so I ended up being more in Dallas after that. Right. um, Because I had to, you know, they weren't as 
lenient <laughs> to uh, just miss school to go to the jungle mm-hmm. real quick. So, mm-hmm. so I'd say a lot of my like you know formative years, preteen, eight eight to thirteen, eight eight to fourteen, I was mostly on the mission field, and then wow. started splitting more time in the. Like all States. over like Africa, places like that? So when I was a kid, we started out in Mexico. So we started oh, out in okay. Chiapas, which is a mountainous region. Gorgeous. I actually, would, I would love to go back as an adult. Um, we were in Chiapas and then we were in essentially like another state, if you will. It's the same state where Cancun is. It's called Quintana Roo, but like we were three hours south of Cancun. A few little towns there. One of them is called Bacalar. We built a lot of structures there and then branched more into Central and South America. My dad spent a lot of time in the Amazon. Wow. We wouldn't go with him to the Amazon because it was extremely (laughs) dangerous. So yeah, mostly Mexico, Central, South America. And then we did have partners as the organization grew in Haiti and in Botswana. And we partnered with an organization called Love Botswana. And I feel like it, it grew from there and then by the end, my dad had like partners in 50 countries. So it was a lot of, and I would say the place that we filled was kind of a connector between donors and givers and long-term missionaries. So we were considered short or midterm missionaries. We would go for shorter stints and figure out what people needed and either money or supplies or building. And then we would kind of fill the gap and see who could supply those needs from our donor list and, you know, get them what they need. So when you're growing up in a missionary family, this is just kind of maybe a side note that I'm fascinated by people that that, have, that are children of growing up like this, is that do you feel like that is, that lifestyle is kind of what fuels the center of your faith and your belief that God can, God's just going to do it. He's just going to do it. You know, I, I think as an adult, I've looked back and I can see a lot of things I'm very grateful for for that lifestyle as a kid. I'm very adaptable. Yeah. It takes a lot to throw me. Like I, I feel like I can handle a lot of yeah. things. Um, yeah, your personality seems like that. That's why I'm like, oh, I wonder if that's where she's got her, kind of her moxie and her strength. Definitely. Yeah. And I think growing up in an environment where you see a lot of hardship. Yeah. And even we had a lot of hardship in our own family it just, it puts a lot of things into perspective. Mm-hmm. So I think my main thing that I've really been grateful for as an adult looking back is perspective. Yeah. Because I just, I live life with a lot of gratitude because yeah. I know what it could be, you know, any different set of circumstances. I could be in an environment that's that harsh. Yeah. And um, so I think I have a lot of perspective. It I don't, I'm not easily offended. I'm, you know, I don't spend a lot of time worried about petty things. Like I just, I don't really have the ability to do that with what I've seen in my life. Also, the way that you maneuver in and out of kind of the the two worlds of church and kind of just the mainstream with what you do in music, you'd almost have to be like, and I I, want to use open-minded in the best sense. It's like you almost have to be super open-minded about, you know, how you actually talk to somebody who doesn't share those beliefs, but you're working with them in this totally. certain environment. Because that's why I'm like, man, you're so well-rounded in the way that you communicate mm. and professional in the way you communicate. And so when you're, as you're talking about your growing up years, I'm like, I wonder if that's where you get some of those building blocks of of just of a grounded foundational faith mm-hmm. and and just like 
hey, look, why stress about this? Mm -hmm. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't kind of a thing, which I've seen on a a lot of missionary kids. Yeah. And I feel like I've seen enough things that I can't come back from. So with my faith specifically, I've had a very, you know, I've had a journey with my faith for sure. Yeah. And I've definitely had moments of doubt, deconstruction, kind of, you know, getting to the, the foundation of my faith. And a lot, most of the time I get down there and I can't come back from the things I've seen and experienced yeah. and God working so tangibly. Mm-hmm. And so I am super grateful for those fundamental things that I experienced growing up because God is the same, but the way that he works in other really harsh environments yeah, is yeah. is really different. And he, he shows up in these ways that mm-hmm. are so tangible and so visible and you really can't come back from that. So I think yeah. even in my moments of, you know, looking at my life and my faith and the building blocks that are those things, I, I do have these very strong memories that will always be with me. And I think that's one of the reasons why even when I've faced really, really hard things, I still have so much to cling to and I've seen so much. So I do think it's very much made me who I am. And I see it, the older I get, the more I'm like, oh, that makes sense why I'm like that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you're in this environment that you're, you're growing up in, you, you are full of art and create creative expression and you want to be an actress. And how does that fit into raising money to go to Nicaragua? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I'm really grateful. My parents were always very supportive of the arts and my creativity. I think they early on. Your your dad was a musician. Both my parents. Yeah. Yeah. I come from a very musical family. So I think they early on noticed in me that I had a lot of creative ability and they really wanted to foster that. So, I mean, the church we were at when I was really young, my parents were the music directors and they would put on these huge musicals and they had like a 60 person choir. And um, I actually- Dad was a songwriter. Yep. Both my parents were songwriters, worship leaders. He wrote a pretty big song, right? Yeah. He Well, he actually, he wrote on I Worship You, but he's not credited. Oh, can you just tell that story? Because that's the one. The I worship you. Almighty yeah, God, yeah, yeah. there is none like you. Oh, so my parents led a singing group of college students from Christ for the Nations uh, in the 70s. And one of their students, Sandra Corbett, yeah. um, a dear yeah. friend of theirs uh, to the end. But she, the story goes, I mean, I maybe need to ask her if it's... <laughs> true or if it's been if it's evolved over the years but the story goes that they were on tour and she sat down on a park bench and started singing I worship you and my dad kind of like started riffing with her and they they wrote this verse that isn't on a lot of the versions but um it's a second verse and it's like I come I come into your Courts with praise, I bow before your throne. So it's the same melody as yeah, the I worship yeah. you. And so he would have her, they they actually did a recording of it together eventually and they did that verse. Um, but he never asked for any writing credit on it. Um, and back then, oh, I mean, they're not really thinking about publishing is not a yeah, thing. <laughs> it's like, it's not a big deal. Right. I, I told him, I was like, uh, I think we should maybe try to do some retroactive <laughs> publishing here, but he just never had any desire yeah, to worry about it. Yeah. So, but yeah, wow. so I came from a very musical yeah. family. And even though my parents were, you know, in ministry, 
and that was their life. They never really put it on me that I was expected to be exactly what they were. They were always very open with, you know, what God called me to to do and to be in very accepting of sort of this interesting hybrid life that's happened with me. And in some ways, the the missionary mentality really ended up helping because it makes all the sense in the world that I would be in all kinds of rooms and yeah, all kinds of environments of just being myself and bringing what I bring. And, you know, it's, it's definitely different than growing up in a suburb and that's it. And there's no mm. other context for other cultures or yeah. belief systems. And I just grew up around so much that it, it didn't really throw me. I wasn't really surprised when someone wasn't a Christian. Like yeah. I didn't have any Christian friends. I didn't know any Christians <laughs> growing yeah. up when yeah. we were down there. So it's, uh, I think it does, it did come in handy as I evolved. Yeah. And then, so you're, do they let you like take acting classes and things like that? To get you where you're graduating high school and you want to go into theater. Yeah, so I... Was was songwriting a deal for you back then? Yeah, I started writing songs in high school. But was it like, I want to do this? Or was it just musical theater? Like you just wanted to be on Broadway? Yeah, I actually thought I was going to end up in New York. Oh, yeah, me too. And you know what's funny is (laughs) NYU is... Me too. I know, we all want to end up in New York. (laughs) Um, NYU is on my list, very high up. And I went to do the college visit to see if I wanted to go. And I think it was the Lord because we didn't mean to do this, but my mom and I visited on the coldest day of the year. And it was so bitter. The wind tunnels, like the wind was so strong. it, It was painful. And I like walked out of my admissions meeting or whatever. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think I can do this. Like, I grew up in a tropical environment. Yeah, I was like, exactly. I cannot. So I think it, and then of course the day I visit Belmont, it's spring and all the flowers are blooming. And I, I think it was probably the Lord looking back. But yeah, I went to a high school that had a really strong financial department and my parents mm-hmm. were really supportive of me. You know, in the school, I did community theater. I did, you know, sometimes three shows at a time, just trying to, I just wanted to do it every yeah. every spare moment I had. Um, and then that set me up to, you know, start auditioning for colleges. And and so it's- How far did you get with all that? Uh, what do you mean? I mean, like when you when you were in college, did you graduate with a theater? So I, I started musical theater at Belmont and then I transferred to commercial voice halfway through and I graduated okay. with a bachelor's of music. And so I think moving to Nashville, being in a songwriting culture, got it, which okay. kind of answers your question. It, yeah, it sort of started cultivating within me the songwriting ability that I did have. I'd started to dip a toe in, in in high school, but I mean, as you know, especially in that time in Dallas, there wasn't really a songwriting culture. No, no. Um, so I would write songs, and they were fine. They were songs, like you know, they had a beginning, middle, and an end. I mm-hmm. guess. Um, but moving to Nashville, it really started to birth something in me. And so halfway through, I really realized I didn't want to keep going with musical theater. I didn't want to move to New York. I wanted to stay in Nashville. I wanted to be an artist and songwriter. So I ended up changing majors to commercial voice. And then at the same time, I started doing film acting as opposed to stage. And that really changed things for me because... I'd always been told on stage that we need more from you. Like we can't see it from the audience. Like we can see it when we're close to you. And so I always felt like I had to really perform. And then the first class I took at Belmont that was acting for the camera, I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And so that's when I kind of pivoted to 
acting for the camera in, in college and then a bachelor's of music. Did you get an agent at that point to like start on auditions and things? No, I would say I kind of always, knowing that I had a desire for both of these worlds, I kind of told myself like I would invest in both and just see what kind of takes off first. Yeah, yeah. And music really took off first. Yeah. And so that's why I still now just more so known as a musician. A lot of people don't know that they I even act. But Is Nashville a big kind of acting arena? Not really. And that's part of it. I mean, mm. when I was in LA, so I, I have, I still have an agent in LA, but Atlanta is more so the film hub of the region. And then LA, of course, and Louisiana has some and Austin has some, but music kind of like took me and I just sort of kept responding to what was happening. But I always told myself, I, I need to keep my chops up in case something comes Happens. my way. Yeah. And I have had like a few very big almost. Really? In, yes. And I think with that side of things, like I, I love it so much. I still, it's still one of my very favorite things that I do. It, I haven't really structured my life for it to be the main thing. Mm. Um, and I haven't, but I, I still kind of like hold it in my heart just in the corner. That's so sweet to hear because I mean, I'm, I'm so much older than you, but it was such a deep, deep love. Mm-hmm. And the stage and, and thinking, oh man, I'll, I'll move into film and that it's still like, before I die. I, wanna, I know, right? I want to be cast in something that I just am so proud of, you know? Yeah, I can't say I've been cast in anything I'm proud of yet. <laughs> <laughs> I have been cast. I have done things. There's a reason I don't talk about yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, we yeah. all have to pay our dues somewhere. Right. And honestly, my dad used to call it an inexpensive lesson. I've definitely learned a lot on, on sets that no one will ever... <laughs> Yeah. See, it's a whole different world out there. But I'd rather learn on that than, you know, some major opportunity, but I know I'm finding out kind of the the interesting dynamic that is the difference between because I think Nashville gets thrown into like the Nashville, LA, New York kind of market, but like for certain things, for music, yes, it wouldn't be for acting and even modeling because Justice is mm-hmm. is wanting to model and I've realized in the last couple of months I'm like, "Ooh, this is not a modeling you know, because it's a, it's a, there's a niche in even modeling that's like that service is a southern thing, but mm-hmm. it's very different. Mm-hmm. And with a kid like I've got, he doesn't fit the criteria mm. for what they're, what's normal out here. He's yeah. more of, he would be more of an urban, you know, well, LA or New York vibe. There's some pretty big modeling agencies in Atlanta. Yes, that would yeah. be because it's yeah. only four hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I have a lot of acting friends who they have agents in Atlanta. Yeah. And they live here. I mean, it's. De- there's more and more shooting in the region. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it'll grow. I think yeah. all that, the arts of it will grow. Mm-hmm. But music is, it's always really been known for this mm-hmm. big music. Yeah. And, but I've also noticed like that, that it's, don't you think it's kind of growing in sync and growing in, mm-hmm. in all of that stuff too? Because back years ago, mm-hmm. it was kind of known really more for country yeah. and um, and a certain genre of, of music being than than kind of what it is now. It's mm-hmm. it's getting a little bit more hip and yeah, you know, which is great because there's so many of you, you know, those like you that that are writing yeah all kinds of stuff. I think you know we're a storytellers town. Yes, there is storytelling in our soil. Yes, yeah. And so I think when a genre starts to grow here, it always ends up having a really cool edge that makes it different. So when pop really started to 
grow in Nashville. It was a different brand of pop. Mm -hmm. It was like storyteller pop. Mm -hmm. It was singer-songwriter pop. It was different than what was coming out of LA and New York. And actually, when I signed my first record deal, I signed in LA and I thought, oh, they're going to ask me to move to LA. And I brought it up in my first meeting. And it was a, I mean, it was a big label, Warner, based in Burbank. And he was like, don't leave Nashville. There's something that you're doing in Nashville that people are not doing here. Like you need to keep doing it. Wow, wow. And he, that was 2014. He saw pretty early on Mm -hmm. the things that were coming out of this town. And now there's a lot more of it. But I mean, there's been really incredible bands that have come out of this Mm -hmm. town that haven't been country or Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it comes to the other genres, pop and, and some of these other new things that were starting to feel bubbling up. It's exciting for me because I've always really believed in Nashville and our ability to be multifaceted. Absolutely. And we just have such rich creativity here, rich storytelling. And so when it's applied to different musical genres, it's really fun to see because it's it's different here than anywhere else. And I think that's why more and more of these artists are getting on the map because people are picking up on that there's something different about us. Yeah, what I've loved, I've only been here for four years, but what, and I, I've obviously traveled so many, for so many years here, but what I really have loved about living here is the people. Mm-hmm. Like, We're pretty so, great, Just I think. great, great, <laughs> just good, good people that you just love being around on a day-to-day basis yeah. in the writing community. Yeah. So, okay, so you're... You you graduate um, you graduate Belmont and you go into this songwriting thing. Mm-hmm. But you're, are you songwriting in the Christian CCM worship world? No, actually. Go, okay, so yeah. You, did you go straight into pop? Yeah, I've I've never. I mean, I probably work more now in the Christian space than yeah. I ever have, and I, it's still not that much. But yeah, yeah I just always I, I don't know. I just never felt drawn to it. I I'm obviously a person of faith, and I my faith works its way into my songs a lot. Yeah, I just never yeah. was really drawn to like CCM. And I feel like I never quite understood the idea of faith as a genre anyways. Mm-hmm, I'm mm-hmm. still a little in the dark about that. I love the idea of writing music for the church. And I, I do write music for the church yeah, and I love yeah. the church. But the idea is like, of it as a genre always was a mystery to me. But so I, I really kind of started out in that singer-songwriter space, kind of the piano pop, Sarah Bareilles type thing. Yeah, and yeah. around 2013, I kind of like, quote unquote, found my sound. And I was a little bit early to the party on the sound. I was, you know, the girl singing over beats thing that kind of mm. came forward during that time with like Lord and different yes, other artists. Yeah. When I first was kind of operating in that space, we were had management and, you know, a few different people on my team and we were pitching to labels and publishers in 2013. And most of them were like, we don't really know what you're doing. Like, what is, are you pop? Are you alternative? Like, there's just a beat under you. Like what? And then very, very quickly after Lord's whole thing happened and then they all came back. (laughs) And they were all like, oh, we get it now. I'm like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, And then I ended up signing you know, my first major record deal and and my time there was pretty tumultuous because I, in hindsight, looking at music industry history, I signed during a very interesting time. When I signed, Spotify did not exist. Right. And then by the end, it was the driving force. So that wasn't even part of my deal. Like streaming wasn't even mentioned in my deal. And, you know, my, there was a huge changeover at Warner at the time. By the time 
I got dropped. There was nobody left on my team that I started with. So it was a very interesting time in LA and time at the label. And so at that point in 2017, which there was a lot of kindness there looking back, um, I had signed to the president of the label Mm. and he knew he knew he was going to leave yeah and he dropped me 2 weeks before he left and oh. gave me all my masters and wow. it was a huge gift wow i didn't know that at the time happen. no it does not happen but he knew he couldn't leave me in that building cuz nobody knew me wow my whole team was gone at that point they'd either left or gotten fired cuz there was this huge changing of the guard yeah so 2017 uh, I get dropped and I'm like, all right, I think I'm going to go back to being indie because that was three years of my life where I could barely do anything because there was just so much like red tape and so right. many you know, hurdles to get anything released. And I'm just such a, a go-getter, if yeah, you will. And yeah. I was just so impatient. And so I went back to being independent and I ended up having more success as an independent mm-hmm. artist than I ever did at a label. Mm-hmm. Not to say that every experience is like that. And I, I think I was, it was a very specific moment in time and now I'm a very big believer in like the hybrid situation where you have distribution, but maybe you're not signing everything mm-hmm. over. You know, you have a partner that, because there's a lot of power in team and yeah. collaboration and when someone really believes in you and wants to advocate for you in the space, like there's a lot of power there. So I'm definitely not of the mind of like, do it all on your own. I think we actually really need each other. Yeah. Um, and I've learned that by swinging one way, swinging the other, and now I'm somewhere in the middle. Don't you think, though, too, this is something I'd love to ask you because I see it a lot when when I'm in room after room after room where these young women artists come in. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you do not see... Maybe I could be wrong about this, but I was talking. I was talking about this with another, um, you know, male producer, and we were talking about female artistry, even the female kind of like the young female artistry that comes in, really in- incredibly talented. Labels are looking at them, and they're almost being like groomed, but they're not sure who they are yet. Mm-hmm. And if you don't come in with an understanding of who you are. Sometimes it's really hard to fight for who you are Mm -hmm. because there are other people willing to tell you who you are Mm -hmm. and shape you into who they want you to be. That doesn't happen with a male with a male yeah. artist, it happens with the female artist. And it's true. There just, is a difference. Yeah, there's a big difference. And I just have seen it over and over and over and over. And I'm like, I've heard labels say, you know, of course, I've had the tenure to come in and be like, I want this, this, mm-hmm. this, and this, and that. And I want to do it that way. I want the cover to look like this. And they're like, wow, you really know what you want. It's mm-hmm. like, absolutely. I've been in this game way too long not to right. know what I want. <laughs> but, the, but the comment back to me was, we wish more artists would come in, female artists would come in knowing what they want. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't know what you want or know what your sound is, then you're easily accessible to almost be, not corrupted in a sense, but to be told what it is you can do. You have kind of this really great vibe about you that and tenacity that you, once you say you found your sound, Mm -hmm. do you feel like you could fight for yourself? Because you could fight for yourself independently, obviously. But did that make you very guarded and going back with labels Mm -hmm. where you're like, I'm not going to play this game anymore. I know who I am and I'm not going to settle for this. Yeah, I definitely think the tenacity that you speak of is hard won. Yeah. I look back at the version of myself that did sign that first deal and I was a very, very, very different person. Um, And I think through a lot of hardship in that season, I learned who I was. You lost your mom. 
to in it was was it in that season of that record deal? Uh, before, before I so I was nineteen when my mom died, wow. so I was a freshman at Belmont at the time. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So it was. I would say I feel like at this point in my life I have a little bit of a calling to save women time. Mm. <laughs> and I have a girl who I hired last year named Olivia Grasso and she's a young singer-songwriter. She's yeah. amazing. And uh we we've kind of come up with a a catchphrase now where someone will say, "How did you learn how to do that?" She goes, "I learned it from Daniela." And then I say, "And I learned it the hard way." <laughs> Um, Isn't that the truth? Though? I know. I'm sure you you can relate oh, to that on has a very to dig the ditch before the house is built. <laughs> and I and honestly, that's one of the things I've really loved about like I was telling you of starting this creative direction yeah, company yes. is I I've found myself as an advocate for the artist um, coming in trying to create a space that feels safe that an artist can bring ideas. There's no bad ideas. Um, bring vision. Because a lot of times an artist has a hard time advocating for themselves and, it, and more often it is, it is women. And I, yeah. I don't really know why that is. And like you said, I feel like now I, the power dynamic is a bit different. Like I can walk in and be like, this is what I want to do. This is what we're going to do. Yeah, I love it. I want it. Great. I have not always been like that. And I think finding, to answer your question, for a young woman that, that is coming into this space as an artist or a songwriter, I think having a safe environment to figure out who you are is really important. So finding people that will come alongside you to help you figure some things yeah. out along the way um, that maybe don't get anything out of it. Yeah. I feel like sometimes that's hard when you know someone's making money off you or wants to make money off of you. Sometimes that can blur the line. So I think it is, it's a really kind thing to have people around you who can help you grow and, yeah, and cultivate. Yeah. And I, I feel like at this point in my life, I've, I'm, you know, I'm still somewhat young, but I've, I've been through a lot in the industry. And so yeah, yeah. I always pray that the Lord will point out people to me that I can mm-hmm. sort of just come alongside and support them and be like, you know, hey, this thing that you did, yes, love that. Lean into that. You know, that's really strong. That story you want to tell, that vibe, that brand, like love that. It, it's, I do a lot of more positive affirmation, I would say, yeah. just keeping in, an artist's, you know, spirit up. Mm-hmm. I'm really passionate about because there's mm-hmm. enough of people that are really critical in this town and in this industry. And so I try to come in and help people learn which thing to lean into. Is it know? easier to do that than to actually speak to your own soul? <laughs> Such a Rita question. <laughs> I definitely do things for other people I don't do for myself, yeah. if that answers your question. Yeah. My husband's good at pointing that out to me. He's like, yeah. what would you tell? Right. Someone, if they came to you and asked, it's kind of like the the psychologist that doesn't follow their own advice, right? You know, and I think we all struggle with that. But I do think that's the thing with me that the Lord has pushed the most mm-hmm. is you can't you can't be the one to tell other people that, but not actually walk it out because right. your authenticity, right? You know, is is grounded in that right. very thing. And I have noticed that about you because you're so uber gifted, but. If somebody was going to get thrown down a flight of stairs, you'd throw yourself down a flight of stairs. You know, the person that you're you're trying to encourage. Well, I will say a lot of the advice I give now is something I've already walked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think I am trying to give some, a lot of these people something I never had. Yeah. And I do wish I would have had a me for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember coming up and I, you know, as a as a Christian, 
that was making pop music, there just wasn't a lot of people that doing I that. could talk yeah, to about yeah, it. Yeah. So in a lot of ways, I was just sort of learning, like I said, learning everything the hard way. Mm-hmm. And now there's so many of these like awesome young artists who love the Lord and they've got artistry and vision and they're mm-hmm. doing really cool stuff and they have other friends that also do it and they do it together. I'm mm-hmm. like, wow. And and by the way, I also have that now too. I just didn't have it when I yeah, was young and yeah. in very formative years yeah. and learning everything the hard way. Yeah. And I definitely think the times are much more open and welcoming towards that kind of artist than they used to be. Yeah. And it's exciting if you, you know, if you think well on the positive, it's really exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you go back in in 2017 when you come back to indie, mm-hmm. what what's the what's the process since 2017 with your music now cuz you're doing so much now. Yeah. So essentially when I came back to the indie space, I would say that's when my workaholism really took, you know, took its toll. So I released music consistently from 2017 to 2020. Yeah. And I I mean, probably every six weeks, like it was, because I just sort of subscribed to this idea that just keep trying and one will hit. You know, we just got to keep, if one doesn't hit, go to the next, you know, just, and I'm paying for everything myself. So I'm like draining my savings and just, you know, and I'm, I'm really proud of a lot of the music I made during that time. Insane. Yeah. It, It came from this place of striving though. And I, I can see that now. And I had a lot to prove, which I don't know was healthy, Yeah, you know, at the end of the day. So I just was this striving little energizer bunny and just like. I would not stop. I was working like 90 hour weeks, just trying so hard to do something. Like I don't even know what I was really after. Um, and then at the top of 2020, before the pandemic, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and was like, you need to stop or you wow. are going, you are running headfirst on a freight train into a wall. Why did you feel like you had to do that? What was What was backing that? Did, did you, did, was it kind of an internal thing that if you didn't, if you didn't do it like that, you would be a failure at it? That's a good question. I think, like I said, I do think some of it was like, I had something to prove. Yeah. Because I'd had quite a few people at that point speak things over me and about me, you know. In positive format? Uh, No, negative. You know, I I had people I worked with earlier on in my career that their voices definitely stuck with me longer than they should have. Yeah. You know, like- you are a sinking ship oh, and gosh, I need to get yeah. off the ship before it goes down. That's a direct quote. Wow. Um, you're stupid. You know, things like that. I mean, nothing like horrific, but definitely little foxes that just kind of stick with you. Um, and so, so there was an internal need to actually prove them wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I think I'm also a, a natural hard worker. Yeah, you are. And so, so I'm trying to find the balance now of like what it looks like to be someone that works really hard, but there it doesn't become an idol. And I think there was a lot of idolatry for me with my career. Um, And so I just was running myself into the ground. I think also I know this, especially now, but my tendency to run away from any like internal struggles is I work as a distraction. So I- I, Busy yourself. Mm-hmm. After, after my mom died, I did that. After my dad did, died, I did that. So like, I know I'm doing it 
you know. So I think that was some of it was I was running away from a lot of the internal things that were I really needed to just sit and work through, but I refused to give myself time because I didn't want to work through them. And so at the top of 2020, we're talking this is 13 years after my mom died. I You, you put out a record too in, was it 2020 or 2021? I have not put out anything since January of 2020 okay, or technically December of 2019. Yeah, yeah. So I was putting out this project that was essentially like this series of EPs and it was um, emotional state, mental state, physical yeah, state. It was amazing. It was like amazing. EPs. And they were honestly about my journey with yeah. grief, but at the same time, I was like writing about it, but I wasn't processing it. Like there was this block mm. and it was almost like if I wrote a song about it, I'm like, check, I processed it, but wow, I didn't. Wow, so honest. And- I, I can say it now. I don't yeah. think I would have been able to tell you at the time, but um, I had a group of friends who, uh, they're such the Lord's kindness to me. I've known them since college. We've all stayed close. They know me better than anyone. And we had a little, um, we do this little thing called Shamps and Shaba where we <laughs> sit yeah. around and we have mimosas and we share and pray for each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we had this moment and a couple of the girls looked at me and they were like, Daniela, you look exhausted. Wow. Like you are not okay. And I was like, Mm. just burst into tears. And one of the girls said, I have not seen you look like this since your mom died. Wow. And I just had this moment where I realized like what I was doing, the idolatry in my life, the distraction I was creating from my own inner world. Yeah. And Had your father passed? No. No, not yet. Not yet. And so I was just like, and, and they said, it looks like you're in mourning. And I was like, I had a moment where I mourned the career that I thought I was going to have, wow. that I just, wow. I was working so hard and I still couldn't have it. Yeah. And so I just felt like the Lord was like, you need to stop because you are headed for a very dark place. And so that day I, I was supposed to leave for LA. I canceled my flight. I called my management team. I was like, I'm not, I'm stopping everything mm-hmm. until further notice. And I didn't work for six months. Shortly after the pandemic hits, I can't work anyways. And I essentially, most days during that time were me sitting on the couch and essentially sozoing myself. Like the Lord just showed me something every day that I had to work through. And I spent days just crying on the couch, processing writing down. And so I had a very real six months of healing during that time. And then at that point, I felt like he started to like give me a few things back here and there. So Mm -hmm. I started to write Mm -hmm. again. Um, I never stopped writing for my church. I I always felt like that was, that's never felt like work to me. It's always felt like a service to me. Um, but beyond that, I hadn't been doing any music or it's writing. It's also a very different process. Oh, extremely. What you were doing, yeah. And it just had no, no, it wasn't even reminiscent of yeah. this other side yeah. that I had to give up. And then slowly but surely, I felt like he was giving me some things back. I started writing for film and TV again. I started writing for other artists again. Mm-hmm. But I still have not sort of made the move to release another artist project. Mm-hmm. I do feel like God has given me the go ahead, but now I'm I'm holding it up. Yeah. Which is very funny because 
if you had told me five years ago yeah. that I was the one dragging my feet to make another project, um, I would have told you you were insane because all like I wanted the, to do was make projects. Do you feel like the apprehension now, though, has a little holiness in it where you just, you don't want to do it in the wrong timing? Yeah, and I don't want to fall into the trap again mm. of just the idolatry and the striving. I do look, my perspective, I've gained so much perspective since kind of giving it all up. Wow. And I look at what I did and how I lived life and I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't think I would ever do it like that again. But it is, I am in the back of my head, I'm, I'm worried I would fall wow. back into the same trap. So I am trying to be protective of the peace I've found and the wholeness I've found. And even just like my relationship with my friends and my husband and, yeah. you know, I'm a better person. I'm more, I'm healthier, but uh, I do think there's a version of where I can do it and not be a crazy person. I just have to, <laughs> I have to like, you know, make the move to, yeah. to do it and try to do it with some balance. Yeah. 